Welcome to the Sports Epreneur Podcast, the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide, a Cat Source production. In this episode, I chat with Nate Oliver, director of the Keith B. Key Buckeye Social Entrepreneurship Program at The Ohio State University and a key member to the 2007 to 2011 Ohio State Buckeye football program. We discuss mentors, coach Jim Tressel, and life after football. Let's get into this episode. We welcome Ohio State Buckeye, Nate Oliver. Sportsypreneur is a content platform, a collaborative team, and a marketing brand that is all about showcasing leaders and difference makers in and around the world of sports. While we create our own content, we also create content with you. This includes collaborative content and exclusive content for your brand. Think podcasts, blogs, social media, and overall content strategy. Our sports content marketing team is specifically niche for those in the sports industry. That includes sports businesses, athletes, managers, coaches, trainers, entrepreneurs, and business leaders in the sports market. The bottom line is we want to help with your sports-related brand, your content marketing, and your story. Connect with us on Instagram at sportsepreneur or find us online at sportsepreneur.com. Sportsepreneur, the content platform where sports and entrepreneurship collide. I heard that story about you being the first recruit in your recruiting class mm-hmm. in 2006, yep. right? Seven. Okay, so you're in the seven class. Okay. So what was it about Ohio State? Like, why did you verbally commit so early in that? Yeah, so for me, it was one of those things where I guess it goes back to, you know, growing up in Cleveland, Ohio. In Ohio, obviously, football is important in Ohio, but Ohio State is what it is. You know, that's that's a big place you want to go. But I remember watching O2 National Championship game in my room, just watching the whole thing through. And after that game, I made it up in my mind, like, I'm going to Ohio State. I don't care what anyone says. Like, that's where I'm going. <laughs> yeah. But granted, you know, the people around me and the people I saw playing college ball, they weren't going off to play at Ohio State. They were playing at, you know, Baldwin Wallace. They were going to John Carroll, Mount Union. So it was like D3 schools that I was seeing. So I never saw really anyone go D1. And if someone did, it was like Bowling Green or Akron. And I was like, well, maybe I can do something like that. But when the opportunity presented itself to attempt, Ohio State, when I got offered, it was, a, it was a no-brainer for me. It was like, this is what I'm doing. Because I had other offers, obviously. Sure. You know, whether it be, you know, that team up north. At that time, Pitt was huge. All the biggies, Big Ten schools. And at that point, I was starting to get some interest from ACC schools my junior year. But, I mean, I committed, I think, signing day of my junior year. So I had to wait a whole year in order to actually sign the paperwork to go to Ohio State. But, I mean, I knew where I wanted to go. I had people that I played against in high school who were graduating that were going to Ohio State, whether they were at Euclid, Glenville, or just the Cleveland area. Sure. That I knew that I wanted to play ball with. So that's why I picked Ohio State. Well, Coach Trussell. Coach Tress, the man. <laughs> He's the man with the legend. Yeah. He looks at things bigger than football. I remember him sitting down in my family room with me and my dad. He visited me and my dad first, and then you know, we drove over to my mom's house, who lived on the east side. But in each conversation, you know, football was cool. Like, he knew that I was there to play football and this and the other. But he said, you know what, I'm going to make sure that he's the best human being that he possibly can be. And he's going to be proud of him off the field and on the field. So it was one of those things, like, he was talking about things outside of football. So for me, he was more than a coach. He was a mentor. He was a life coach. Practice as a football coach. And he really made you think about the things that were bigger than the game. And that's really what I loved about it. Yeah. Like you said, the man, the myth, the legend. I mean, there was just something about him. And I think Ohio State always could rub people the wrong way. I, I could understand, you know, they've had a lot of success over the years. And if you don't root for Ohio State, you probably don't like Ohio State that much. And 
Coach mm-hmm. Trussell comes along and, you know, it's at a time when people are thinking, well, Ohio State's going to kind of go away. And sure enough, like you just said, you're watching that national championship game. Remember it like it was yesterday. It wasn't yesterday, mm-hmm. but what an amazing game. That year was a crazy year. We had just talked about that with some people recently. But you fast forward and, and here comes Coach Trussell. He's got the sweater vest and has this way about him, the senator. And I think a lot of people were proud of what he stood for, what he did. Mm-hmm. I know my parents, like I had mentioned when we first started, they met at Ohio State. My grandmother went to Ohio State. It's There's something deep there. It's just, man, it goes back so many years. The shoe's been around forever, it seems like. And it means a lot. Mm-hmm. It means a lot. And Coach Trussell meant a lot. And that's why I think when things ended the way they ended, it was a frustrating experience because we all know the media can take things and run with things. And, and that's frustrating when you see someone that I know... It's one thing for someone like myself to get frustrated by it, but for someone who was recruited by him, who played for him, who was mentored by him and done all of these things to see it kind of culminate like it did, because I look back at Coach Trussell's career, like what an incredible career at Ohio State and is still doing incredible things. Mm -hmm. And you follow him on social media and, and he's a president of a university, like what a guy. But what was it like? Was that that last year going into your senior year that that had to be just a punch to the gut or I mean, what were you feeling at that time? Yeah, I was a senior. Everything happened my rest of junior year. Players were supposed to be suspended for the Sugar Bowl. And then all of a sudden the NCAA granted them, you know, access to play. And then after the game, then they suspended them for games because they played in the Sugar Bowl. <laughs> so that's, that's a whole nother topic. But sure. yeah, I mean, going through that whole thing, it was tough because you saw someone that you looked up to, someone that you that really served as a father figure for you, going through these things that you knew, you know, wasn't his fault. And really the media was trying to say a lot of things about him that weren't true. But I learned a lot through that while watching him go through it as well. He was someone who never pointed the finger at anyone. Even when things were said about him that weren't true, you know, he just rolled with the punches and that's what he did. And he taught me through that whole situation that even if I may be justified or anything or whatever it is may be, and regardless of you know what people are saying about me, if I'm going through something like that, to really just you know wear my shoulders up, keep my chin up, and just keep walking through it, and really deal with it with class. And I know for me, especially growing up as a young kid, I was someone who I would say something or act first before really thinking about the situation. I was a bit of a hothead, not not too much, but a <laughs> bit of a hothead. But yeah, really just seeing how Coach Trussell handled himself, he he really shaped me because even right now and you know my marriage and or relationships that I have right now I'm able to think before I act a lot better than what I did before so going through the whole thing seeing him do it I mean he handled it with class I really don't think there's a coach out there that that could have handled that situation um, the way that he did and one of the things he always said or the last thing he said to us was you know he met with us in our last workout he essentially had to sneak on campus because at that point he was suspended. He couldn't come back to campus or whatnot. And, you know, he, he talked to us one last time and he said, I just want you guys to remember, regardless of who you are, what you've done for this university or what you do for anything, you got to understand that Ohio State is bigger than the individual. You know, Ohio State's still going to be here regardless if I'm here or not. Ohio State's going to continue to move on whether you're an All-American here, you go to the NFL or whatever it is that you do, Ohio State's going to continue to move on. It's bigger than just one person. It's bigger than the individual. So make sure that you guys are acting accordingly. Yeah. I was like, wow, yeah. that was powerful. It is, yeah. I don't think any of us can put ourselves into what he was feeling, but he made it 
not about him. He made it about his players. You guys, these college kids really, you know, that are growing up to become men and mm-hmm. and you're relating it to your marriage, your life, your post-football has nothing to do with football, but it had everything to do with football. And so many different things can tie into it. And I, I just, it's amazing that you're able to pull on those different things. And it's a testament to who he is. And it's a testament to who you are as a person. And you hear these stories and it's, you know, it makes you happy to hear that. We look at these challenges that we face in life and it could be something like that. It could be, you name it, right? There's so many different things. The challenge that we're dealing with today, the pandemic that we're all dealing with, that you hit these obstacles and you would never choose it, right? You would never choose it. But what are you going to do about it now that it's here? Don't stop now. Don't stop for me. You know, keep going. And you guys still continue that relationship and thinking through those things. And you probably watched it play out, like even going back to a smaller point, like in a football game, like you watching that game on TV in 2000, the, the championship with Miami, a game Ohio State and was not picked by anybody to win. Like they were setting the game party after, right? I think Clinton Portis would like had the parties ready to go. And the game, like even at the beginning, wasn't going their way. And, and certain things had happened. And you reflect back on that interception to Sean Taylor, right? And Maurice Claret rips the ball. And you're like, there's just certain moments of the ending of the game and all that kind of stuff. But watching Coach Trussell through it, not skipping, not stopping, not freaking out. And it played out through your years there. I mean, just so many games and the Michigan games. And I mean, you took it serious and and just certain moments, I'm sure you could reflect back to say there's certain games you're like, oh my goodness, it's getting away from us. Here we go. But you didn't have that because you looked to the leadership and the leadership wasn't panicked. I mean, do you, do you remember yeah. those times that were you, you guys were like built for that stuff? Yeah, I remember like just there's two things. Number one, one thing Coach Fickle always said, was change was inevitable. Regardless of what you want, change is inevitable. So you have to be ready for it. So I think that kind of got us ready for anything, whether it be a game or life. But a football story, I remember it was a 2010 Penn State game. I think at the, this point, people were about to go into halftime. Well, the defense ended up stopping Penn State from scoring. So I think it was maybe 21 to 7 mm-hmm. at halftime, going into halftime, maybe 14 and up. We were losing. It didn't look good. <laughs> I know that much, but I remember going to the locker room. Everyone's kind of frustrated, but we're still like composed. And Coach Trussell just said so calmly, he was like, so this is what we're going to do. Offense, we're going to go get the ball. We're going to drive down the field. We're going to score a touchdown. Defense, you're going to go out there. You're going to get a turnover. And then we're going to take this game back. And then we all were just kind of like, okay, that's what we're going to do. And that's literally what happened. That's what went on in the second half. Like it was just one of those things where he was like, almost predicting what was going to happen, how we were going to function. And it was like, looking back on it, it was like, yo, you couldn't have scripted that even better. <laughs> like, we hit on all cylinders. He was just so confident in his players and just had that composure to where, like, it didn't matter if you were down 27 or nothing at halftime or to whatever it may be, you know, Coach Trestle was going to find a way to put us in a position to win and be successful. And that's what he did. Yeah. The belief that he had in us and it's still enough that allowed us to you know, really come out on top after that game. Sure. And that leadership, I was talking to someone recently and their college basketball coach and, and college basketball, you know, the team of what are the 15 players, let's say, and you look at a college football, you have like 85 scholarship players and there's more. And then there's not just, then there's coaches and there's management, there's so many people. It's like you become the CEO of a company and there's so much that goes into that. And how do you manage all of that? Well, to me, it's like you need to, you break it down into teams. You heard Urban Meyer, Nine Strong talking about those different things. 
And that helps. It helps a fan to understand what's going on. But obviously in a team, you're always going to have leaders, especially in a huge organization. You have the leadership, you know, like the wide receivers coach, the defensive backs coach, quarterbacks coach and all that. But then it goes down to the leaders on the team. So you come to school there. Who were some of the leaders that were mentoring you along the way? Like no doubt, great athlete, great football player, all these different things. But this is different, right? And you're not in high school anymore. You're at the Ohio State University and you got to show up in the shoe with a hundred and something thousand people there and you got to be ready to go. Who are the players that were helping you in the, in that process? So when we just got started, I would say, or when I first got there, I would say it would be Andre Amos, Donald Washington, obviously both play corner. So they kind of helped get the mental ready. Malcolm Jenkins, Sean Lane. Those are the guys that are really like, they should tell you like, Hey, this is what the game looks like. This is what you should expect. Just get your mind right. Transitioning from high school to college is a big difference. <laughs> Not just that, but transition from like, even though my school, St. Edmonds, is a big D1 school here in Ohio, and it's still going from there to the Ohio State University. So it was definitely a transition. But having guys like that kind of help you along the way was great. And then even as far as like peer mentors, I would say, like, I would say Cameron Hayward. I mean, to this day, that's probably, actually, probably is one of my best friends to this day. But having someone like that in my class who understood the game, you know, his dad obviously played in the NFL. Mm-hmm. His mom made sure that she kept his head on straight. He was he was a leader from day one, whether it be through the workouts, how he prepared, everything. Some things that you know, I didn't quite get at first. I'm like, well, I don't understand why he's showing up to the facility so early when practice doesn't start until, say, 2 o'clock. He's going there at 12. And I'm like, well, I'll just be there at 1. I didn't understand why he was doing it until I saw him develop and I was like, okay, now I get it. So having someone like that kind of show you the way, I think that was cool. But yeah, guys like that helped as I was getting older, you know, I leaned on guys like Kirk Coleman, who's in the safety's room. And then even, honestly, it sounds crazy, but even leaning uh, from a coaching standpoint, I mean, there were so many great coaches that we had over there, but uh, I would say Coach Hazel, who was the wide receivers coach, the way he carried himself in leadership that, the position that he took, it was just someone who I really respected a lot. I mean, to this day, I don't think he even knows how much I actually respected him. But like whatever Coach Hazel said and how he said it and how he approached the game, that's someone that I looked up to as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, just that alone with Coach Hazel, I mean, you don't know when you can rub off on somebody. And I think that's why you could always carry yourself with a certain way. But that's why you going back to, you know, have, being on this podcast. Maybe someone listens to it and they hear the story that you told or whatever that might have been and pick and choose whatever that is, that it could rub off on someone. And you might never even know that you did it that way. Like you're on the defensive side and he's a wide receivers coach. And but for whatever reason, he had this thing and he rubbed off on you. And I think that's amazing. And you you mentioned two players that are well known today in the NFL with Malcolm Jenkins and Cameron Hayward. I mean, very respected individuals, not only for the way they play the game, but the type of person that they are, the way they represent Ohio State. Malcolm Jenkins, for all the amazing things he's doing, not just, again, off the football field. Cameron Hayward, and you mentioned him as, and everyone knows, right? Because you said his dad played, Ironhead Hayward played in the NFL. And when he's at Ohio State, it's like, what kind of obstacle are you dealing with there? You lose a father. And the type of player he is, the way he played the game, the way he represented his team, and for you to have a relationship and watch that 
man, it's just right there in front of you. And what a great person he is. And those are the types of people when you watch the game, you can just respect that type of player or that type of team that has that mindset that goes after it. Because you're saying, well, he dealt with one of the biggest obstacles life can throw at you. And now look at him and look at the different things he's doing. And it's just awesome that you get to call him a friend and a mentor and just someone that you can share time with. I think that's awesome. And I heard this thing as I'm reading some stuff about you and watching some videos. You were described by many as the best teammate. People just liked being around you. They said you would do anything for them. You then became that person. And there's stories about Curtis Grant, who right, a heralded freshman coming in and, and maybe didn't have it at the beginning, like wasn't reaching his level of what he possibly could have done. But then fast forward through the years and then look at him right in the championship season that he was a big part of, whether it's the Virginia Tech game, maybe that didn't go his way, but the Alabama game. And, and so anyway, was it obvious to you or is this how you were raised to be the best teammate? I would say it's how I was raised. Probably off with obviously how my dad raised me and really seeing that he was a second district police officer in Cleveland, but he was working his shifts, plus he'd pick up other shifts just to make sure that I had everything that I needed. So just seeing how he was able just to sacrifice just to make sure, not even have everything that I needed, but also get the things that I wanted as well. So I shouldn't say that. I didn't have everything I, I wanted. I didn't have like the cool, cool clothes and this and the other, but there was never a point where, well, at least when I was with my dad, there was never a point where I was hungry. I didn't have clothes. And if I wanted to go out, he'd give me money to go out. You know what I'm saying? So it wasn't anything like super, super crazy as far as that goes. But yeah, man, I think it starts with him. And then also grade school football. At the same time, it's more uh, grade school and playing football there and having my coaches really teach me what it was to be a teammate there. And then when they're transitioning to St. Ed, when there's John Gibbons, and he's probably one of the, the biggest team coaches there is. He doesn't care if you're a superstar. He didn't care who you are. He wants you to go and put you, and really put it all out there for the team. And at the time, we had uh, Alex Boone. He, he was on the team when I was a, a sophomore in high school. It was his junior year, sorry. My freshman year, his junior year. He actually ended up, he was playing defensive end, but he ended up dislocating his elbow. I think it was like the first or second game of the season. Playing defense, but because who Coach Gibbons was and obviously the competitor that Alex was, he ended up getting a brace for it. And I think he got back like a week or two later and he was playing the rest of the season. But I think it was there. And then obviously at Ohio State, it was always about the Blacko. They didn't really care about the last name. On the back of the jersey, it was about, you know, the Blacko that was up front. And you played for your brothers to the left and to the right of you. We always made sure that was important. And then with uh, Coach Stresser, what he did just to take any kind of individuality out of people, we had name test, and I don't know Tim may have gone over this with you or not, but we had the, the name and hometown test. So essentially what we had to do was know everybody's name, their number, where they were from, what high school they went to. And if you didn't know that, that by the end of camp, you'd have to do extra conditioning. Luckily for me, I have a, a decent memory. <laughs> so I was able to pretty much memorize the entire thing, basically. So I didn't have to do any extra conditioning, but we did that every single year. And that right there just really, he was really pushing, really uh, driving home the, the importance of really knowing your team, knowing the individuals on there, and really just being selfless for them, being willing to, you know, lay your life down for them. And for my teammates to say that I was the best teammate, I mean, I, I definitely do appreciate that for sure. I think there were some things that I, I could have done that was would have made me an even better teammate, but 
maybe I'm just being hypercritical of myself. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, definitely appreciate him saying that. But uh, just seeing somebody like Curtis Grant come in freshman year, I think he was ranked number two in the nation or something crazy like that. I think the only person ranked ahead of him was Clowney. <laughs> I think. Yeah. So you know, he really was having a freshman year that he was he wanted to, and then he came in with Ryan Shazier, and Ryan was having an amazing year. And for Curtis, it was kind of hard for him to see. You know, Ryan doing an amazing thing, and him, who was supposed to be doing those things, he wasn't. But really just taking him under my wing and letting him know, like, he controlled his own actions as long as he put the work in and did the right thing on and off the field, that everything was going to work out for him. And to see that his senior year, he was a captain on the you know national championship team and the team that beat Alabama, mm-hmm. for me, it was one of those things that I was like, it was like a proud big brother moment just to see him out there holding up the trophy. He was there with the son as well. So like, that was amazing to me. I loved it. Loved every minute of it. Yeah. It's funny because we talked to James Cotton, who played in the late 90s, and he talked about, I think it was the kickoff classic something in New Jersey, and they played against Miami. And this, again, I think it was 99. I remember watching that game. <laughs> and they lost. Santana Moss, I think, maybe on the team. So anyway, James Cott on the Miami team, they lost. And they were in the locker room after that and said, if we ever see these guys again, we're not going to lose. Well, sure enough, the next time they see him was the national championship game. And James Cotton had since left, but he feels like in that locker room that day is when they made the decision to beat Miami the next time they were going to play. So he explains the story of watching them hoist the trophy. They win the game. He sees like Mike Doss, captain. And he was there because Mike Doss was a freshman that year. And Mm -hmm. it carries on. It's yes, it's in those four or five years you're there, three, four, five years now, right? That you're a part of the team, but it goes on to tell you having that story of talking about Ohio State winning it in 2014 and seeing your guy, Curtis Grant, being one of the captains of the team. It's like, man, you probably get chills up your spine. We all do, right? Just hearing that type of stuff because it's real and it's real in the sense of like, it goes back to camp when you just had to remember like you're on the defensive side of the ball or special teams and you're having to remember the left guards, name, number, high school, you know, all these kind of things about these people, but it made a difference, right? It clearly made a difference right. because you, you saw it in the team. And, and you even went back to when you were playing, when you were young, before you got to college, before you even got to high school. And, and youth sports mm-hmm. is a big topic right now. And it's all, I always am interested in what athletes like yourself, just incredible athletes who made it to the highest level in college and to look back at youth sports today Versus when, you know, maybe when you were playing not that long ago, but still things have changed and everyone's the next great player, you know, to a lot of parents, but there's a lot of specialization in sports, but now maybe there's more opportunity for specialization. Like, what is your take of what you've seen on the state of youth sports today? These kids that I see right now are a lot more athletic, or at least you're seeing a lot yeah. more athletic than I was <laughs> at that age, just because of specialization. I mean, these kids are incredible, mm-hmm. but that's what happens in sports, just like in life or business. There's going to be evolution. You have to evolve in order for you to obviously get ahead. But yeah, youth sports is something incredible, whether it be football, baseball, basketball. These kids are doing things that are unheard of. Yeah. But that's also one of the reasons why now we look at the NFL draft and we are the combine and we have people who are 6'4, 250 pounds running 4'3. <laughs> like the, the people are just gifted and they've been, you know, specialized to do this for such a long period of time to where it's just kind of like, I'm just going out there playing tag. Like it's, it's easy. So in that sense, I think it's amazing. But one thing that I don't want to paint this with a, a broad brushstroke, but I will say sometimes it seems like the team aspect may be missing. 
not always, but mm-hmm. I think you miss it with all the different technology that we have. Again, technology is great. It helps us evolve. It helps us have Skype meetings from home and Zoom and, and continue to do our day-to-day, especially during something like this. But it also carries a false sense of security, I guess, because you can make a highlight tape and you can be an amazing athlete at the age of, say, 10 or 11. But when everyone else grows up and they catch up to you at 16, 17, and, you know, these football or basketball or baseball offers that you thought were going to be yours at that age are going to you, now all of a sudden now you got to deal with a kid. You have to do a better job of managing expectations because right now everything's about likes and follows and, you know, these, these, these kids aren't being set up the right way. Because, again, social media and everything giving them a false sense of security. Because I even look at it growing up. When you've been recruited in high school, when you look at it, the star, uh, was it Rivals and uh, Scout.com had the, the star rankings or whatnot. Looking in high school, I think I was a four-star athlete. And just if I would have got caught up in reading exactly what it said, then I would have stopped working. I would have stopped doing anything. Because I think a four-star ranking said something like, I was had like a seventy five percent chance of going to the NFL, or it was something crazy like that. I'm like, you know, me four star athletes are out there right now. Like, I don't think we're doing a good job of managing those expectations on a youth level. As far as coaches and parents, let's do a better job of managing that and making sure that these kids are still working. I mean, it's good that they're athletic right now and they're just faster than everyone else, bigger than everyone else right now, but. Just making sure that they're still working, obviously off the field, getting better there, but also helping them develop skills outside of the, the game of football or basketball, whatever that may be, so that if something happens, say an injury happens, that, you know, it's not the end of the world for them. They're ready to go and do something else. So, I mean, I, I love it, but at the same time, it's scary because these, these kids think they're going to the NFL, going to the NBA, going to the MLB, and then when it doesn't happen, mm. the world stops. Right. And that's not good. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of mental health in that, right? I mean, there's, like mm-hmm. you just said, I mean, you're dealing with it every day. And it's so vast because there's so many teams, there's so many different coaches. It's sometimes like you got to get to a coach trussell. Not that there's only one of him, but you have to have someone somewhere. Maybe it's not the coach. Maybe it's a parent or a sibling or a friend or who knows what that is going to help you through that process and not let you read, right? Your clippings, <laughs> as they say, yeah. but yeah. you're right. Yeah, read them. yeah. There's a transition and I, I think it exists at many levels. I mean, really you could be, you could have been that 10 year old that thought you were the best. And then you get to high school and you realize, man, everyone caught up to you and you're nothing anymore. As far as, as an athlete is concerned yeah. and you have to deal with that, obviously. And then you go to high school and then you go to college, perhaps it, you don't make it to college, right? You're not playing in on the team you played in high school or you don't make it to the professional leagues. Like you said, how many athletes it's the 1% of the 1%. I mean, it is a small number and then players that do Mm -hmm. make it to the league and they don't last or the ones that do and have incredible careers. It still ends. And it ends usually when someone's in their twenties or thirties, or maybe if who knows if they can make it to their forties, that that's very unheard of. There's a transition out of sports at many different levels. And obviously you had to deal with it. Anyone who's going to go to Ohio State and play for one minute at Ohio State is going to deal with the transition because you're running out of that field and there's got to be something special. I want to get into some of that stuff in a bit. But when you are transitioning out of sports and no different than a kid's transitioning into the different levels of sports, what is that? Because it's very difficult to understand what that would be like to say, now what am I going to do? I mean, in some of these, some players and some people are able to transition easier than others, but 
generally speaking, it's not going to be an easy transition. Even if you've been told a million times it's happening, it's going to happen, get ready for it. And it's just not that easy, I don't think. Yeah. Well, I'll speak on my personal transition. If I had to grade the transition as like 10 being the best transition ever and one being like, yo, this guy needs some help. I was probably like a one or a two Mm. only because like I had my college degree. I understood that there was life after sports and this and the other. I understood all those things. Like I do. I understand it. But the best way I can describe what happens when this is at Ohio State, but I'm pretty sure it's professional, whatever it may be. But the best way I can explain what happens is take Superman, for example. Superman has all these superpowers. He's strong, you know, x-ray vision, super fast, right? And then all of a sudden, one day, say it's all stripped from him. Now, all of a sudden, he's just Clark Kent, and he has no other powers, and he's trying to figure out, okay, what does my life look like right now? Because at one moment, everyone was screaming my name, and they wanted me to hang out with them, and I was important, and I was this, and I was that. And now, all of a sudden, it's stripped away from you. And then even from an Ohio State aspect, I turn on the TV to go watch Ohio State play in the fall after I get done playing. Mm -hmm. And there's someone else wearing my number. And I was like, yo, this is weird. I'm just here. I don't know what to do. And it's more so a mental thing because you can be prepared financially. You can be prepared physically. It doesn't matter what it may be, but mentally, something's stripped from you. And you have to figure out who you are outside of that game. And not many people do well with that. I have teammates that are still struggling with it. I think for me, I went through the transition probably, it was about a year. Uh, 2012, 2013. And I was still dealing with some things in 14, 15, but it wasn't like super, super bad. But like, you have to make sure that you have a coach to get you through or a teammate where you can sit there and really talk about what's going on. Because there's a lot of times where people just sit there and they suffer in silence and they think that they're the only people that are going through this transition. But in reality, I've already went through the transition. I have teammates that went through the transition. And all you have to do is reach out to us and we can help you walk through this whole process. You don't have to do it by yourself. And we get it. And it's not that you're weak. It's not that you're this. What you're feeling it isn't fake. They're a real feeling. These, these are real emotions. We get it. But we can help walk you through it to where you're not trying to process it by yourself. So, yeah, that transition is real. I think there needs to be something set up, whether it be on high school level, college level, NFL level, to where... People are able to, you know, go and talk about these things, whether it be counseling or and or a life coach, whatever it may be. Those things need to be set up because that transition is something that, unfortunately, not many people can, people make it out of it. But some people don't, unfortunately, make it out. And that's where you get people who, you know, develop addictive habits and or that's where the whole uh, suicide thing comes in because mm-hmm. they don't know who they are and they can't function without it. So, yeah, I think that's important. It's real. We touched on it briefly, mental health. It, it's exactly it. I mean, people deal with it in different walks. I remember getting out of college. I didn't play college sports, right? I, I mean, I did, but not at that level, right? And yeah, you just leave yeah. school and you're thinking, I'd rather be in school right now. I'd rather be doing that. Yeah. I don't want to do this. And, and it's not a fun experience. And you, like you said, you're not alone in that. I heard Grant Wiley played at West Virginia. He's a leading tackler in the history of West Virginia. And he said, when I left and I was done with school, my cool factor ran out very fast. And... He's like, people who would have taken any call from me, he's like, I couldn't get anybody on the phone anymore. He's like, that was, and he's the leading tackle in the history of that program. And not to say that they left him and he's still obviously a big part of it. He's just in general, like people outside the program. And it's, it's a tough thing that you have to deal with or that any athlete has to deal with. 
I'm glad that mental health is being talked about more, that you can talk to people. And here's the thing, listening to, I'm not saying this episode's a case of mental health, it's just, but if someone were to hear you say what you just talked about or hear this whole conversation, might help them out in their process wherever they might be. Maybe they're an athlete that's going to be transitioning at some point, or maybe they already have and they're thinking through it. That is why this stuff exists. I remember, and I've told this story before to people that have listened to this, but on 2011, we had our third child. And one month into her being born, and she was in great health, she was in the hospital for a week. And walking into that, my wife called me up. She said they sent us to the ER, went to the hospital. She got checked in there for a week. I remember if you sleep on a couch next to where your baby is in the hospital, it'll mess you up, man. Like it wasn't good. I didn't feel good. I didn't feel great after. Well, anyway, fast forward a little bit and my company changed. Things were happening and I wanted to start my own business. And, you know, I really had started reading and listening and thinking a lot more. But I came to realize like how important just even podcasts were. And I'm not saying it has to be like upbeat, all positive stuff. It could be anything. It's just stuff that's interesting to you, stuff that you think about. It could be a novel. It could be whatever that is. Because what happens is you start talking to yourself. And when you start talking to yourself in a negative stuff or allowing maybe not talking to yourself, you're allowing something else, some something else who knows what that is to talk to you and maybe mm-hmm. make you feel worse, then you got to deal with it. So I realized well, how important podcasting was. I realized how important reading was, writing, creating those types of things to a point where I wanted to start doing it myself. That's where Sports Epreneur came from and said, I want to create something and maybe I have something to offer. And maybe the offer is just to me because I always think it's like, when I say these things even, and when you say what you're saying, a lot of it is still self-talk. It's reminding yourself of where you've been, reminding yourself of that you can get through these different things. So it's like, well, I'm not and here and I'm no expert by it, but I've lived it. And if I can share it and it holds me accountable to those things, that's what I'm going to do. If along the way it helps someone else, maybe it helps my kids. Maybe it helps someone at my company. Maybe it helps the conversation I'm having with who knows what that is. That is why this stuff exists. And so when I'm, I kept on going forward, I'm like, well, I'm listening to these podcasts. Can I create a podcast? Who's going to listen to me? I might sound stupid. My friends will laugh at me and it'll be funny, but it'll be like, I can't do that. Well, then you start doing it. And then when you have to kind of know what you're talking about, or you at least have to be willing to share stuff like you were just sharing, or like I was just sharing, you have to be willing to share those things. And it helps. It helps someone else. You say, well, I'll contribute to that. I'll create a podcast. If good things come from that, related to business, so be it. And that'll be great. And of course, we all have to make money. We have to do things. We have to pay bills. But if you do enough of those good things, I do think good stuff can happen. Bad stuff can happen too, but good stuff can happen. And that's why I think it's important to create those things because hearing you tell these different stories, it is important. It's important, even if it's just players on the current Ohio State team listen to it or players or people, students at your high school or whoever that you're impacting, people at the social entrepreneurship program at Ohio State hear it. These things matter. These stories matter. It's going to impact people more than we can ever imagine. It's kind of like when you referred back to Coach Hazel and said, he didn't realize maybe perhaps the impact he was having on you. And it's not for him to now recognize that. It's the fact that it happened. And I think that's incredibly important. That's why I would say, like you had mentioned before, like creating a podcast. Yes, absolutely. Just share these stories. These stories matter. and People want to hear it. If it's not, if it's just kids, it could be like my son who grew up and he didn't go to Ohio State. He's just started high school, right? But he likes Ohio State. He likes watching Buckeyes football. And it's like, well, here's a story from someone who played there around the time you were being born. 
and hear his stories, hear what this is all about, because I think it will relate. And I think it's just, again, I just think it's important to that. So, I mean, so I appreciate you sharing those stories because we're going to continue to run into these things as we keep going. My wife has had health issues, diagnosed with celiac disease and going through these things. And so it's like, as her husband, I have to be there. I have to think through that stuff. So these types of conversations in a way help with that. So why wouldn't I want to continue to have it? It's just, it's a great opportunity to even chat with you, but I do appreciate you sharing those stories because it matters and people are dealing with it. I mean, life as a Buckeye is an incredible thing. I can't imagine what it's like to walk out into the horseshoe, right? In front of all those fans, or maybe even walk out in the big house or whatever it is, wearing the scarlet and gray. What if you think back to it, like, I think you're at the USC game. I know that was a loss, but that was a crazy environment. Like, is that the craziest you've ever seen the shoe? Or was there another environment that you were in where it was just nuts? They're always nuts, right? But <laughs> yeah, USC 2009 at the shoe was crazy. Penn State 2008 at the shoe. Bananas. Dang, I'm trying to think what other games were like. Penn State, when we went out there, Happy Valley, amazing. The, the big house, it's the big house is one of the stages that you always want to play in, but honestly, it was like quiet. I mean, it was cool to see it, but like it wasn't my most excited. Like, I wasn't excited, but the Coliseum out at USC, like, that was amazing. We ended up losing that one, like, bad. Yeah. Like, real bad. <laughs> I think that whole USC squad went to the NFL. That was a ridiculous and, team, yeah. <laughs> and Clay Matthews wasn't even starting yeah. on the defense. So, that was so that's how good they were. <laughs> yeah, like, being out there and seeing that stadium, seeing the environment, looking over, seeing Denzel Washington on the sideline. Like, I'm like, bro, what is, what is this? Like, where is this where am I? <laughs> is, this, is this really life right here? You know, that was crazy. But the shoe, Happy Valley, and then even like really my freshman year, first time running out of the shoe. My first and last. I'll tell you about my first time and the last time running out. So the first time, Youngstown State, first game of the year, I just remember running out, seeing all these people. And you know, saying that we have a pretty big crowds, especially like during the playoffs or the Ignatius game. When we played that, that's one of our rivals. But like, this was something different. It was 105,000 in the stadium my freshman year, first game running out there. And I just remember seeing all the fans and I just remember thinking to myself, like, don't trip. Like, the only <laughs> thing I could think of was like, do not fall. Because <laughs> as I was running, it felt like I was like floating and I had no control over my legs. I just remember looking around like, wow, like this is crazy. But to go from that to my senior year, senior day when we played Penn State 2011, just seeing the stadium in a different like, light, it was almost like saying goodbye. Mm. I'd say goodbye is something that I've known for the past five years. So it was sad. I was the person who always broke the huddle whenever we were about to go off from kickoff. And I, I remember trying to go and break the huddle, but I couldn't get the words out. Like, mm. Over here, like fighting back tears. So I was like, yo, this is literally like my last time through here. Last time, breaking the huddle for the beginning of the game at the shoe. It was very emotional, but I will say Ohio Stadium probably easily when everyone is hyped, big primetime game, is the best stadium to play in that night. Yeah. Nighttime, best one. Because I remember going to, uh, I didn't play in this game, but the 06 Ohio State Michigan game, one versus two. Yeah. I was only a recruit, but seeing that, like, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I was already coming to Ohio State, but if I was unsure, Th that, that was it. Solidified it for me. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah I'm it's, coming. it's sure. true, man. I mean, I can't imagine being a recruit in that state. My dad and my brother, we were at that game, 
And I remember leaving the stadium because that was, I remember getting off the plane and I got picked up at the airport and someone had told me that Bo had passed away. And just, mm-hmm. it was already one versus two. And now you had this icon in the rivalry and the 10 year war and all this stuff. It's just like, what is happening here? And then the game plays itself out was a 42 39. It's just crazy. And walking out of that stadium, I was just like, I don't know how they could ever play another football game again. And, sh- and then they had to wait like eight weeks to play Florida and then, or Myers team just did, that was bad. But I don't know how you could have gotten up for another football game after that. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I just remember seeing. Like we had Eddie George, and I'm like, man, I always used to watch Eddie George play. Like, this is dope. <laughs> and then I turn, and randomly, there's Derek Jeter. And I'm like, why is Derek Jeter? <laughs> I don't know, but I'm going to go take a picture. Yeah. So I'm taking a picture with Derek Jeter. I go into the recruiting room. I'm kind of talking, and there's a seat that's up there that's sitting there. So, you know, I kind of sit down in it. And all of a sudden, I feel like this person walked past me. He's like, oh, I'm sitting there, but it's cool. Go ahead and sit down. They pull up another seat and just continue on the conversation. And then I happen to look up and this person that just pulled up the seat and continued this conversation, included me in it, was Chris Carter. I'm <laughs> like, yo, like, what is going on? Right now? Like, this is the one. I was playing with Chris Carter like in that. Yeah. <laughs> and now the students over there talking to me like, like, this is the wildest thing I've ever seen in my life. But that game right there solidified it. There were so many stars, and I'm sure there were some people that I didn't that were there that I didn't even get to see. Right. But Derek Jeter, Eddie George, Chris Carter, like boom, boom, like back to back to back. I was like, yo, that's I'm wild, man. Here. Yeah. This is the best game. Like a kid in the candy store there. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yo, I guess we got to be here. Yeah. What do you think about Buckeye football today? I mean, obviously, Trestle is gone. I think people were super excited because they thought, well, you know what? End of Ohio State football is here. They had, you know, your senior year. But, I mean, you guys had some incredible highlights even that year with that Wisconsin game. I mean, that's always shown. It's just one of those things with Braxton Miller hitting Devin Smith, right? I mean, just magical game in a way. Russell Wilson, right? Quarterback you guys are playing against. So people talk about that. And you're like, no, man, Russell Wilson, he lost to the Buckeyes. And that was the one year. And, and, you know, they took everything you guys could possibly have, but they didn't take everything. And you you were still there and you guys were still there. And incredible year. And then the year in. Go ahead. That was the wildest year ever. The same team went 12 and 0 the next year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there was just so emotionally, mentally, I would just say we were drained because even the the Nebraska game, like we were up, I think, 28 to 7, and then ended up losing, I think, what, 31 to 28 or 34, something crazy. Nebraska ended up having the biggest comeback in their history. But it was like, if that game didn't show you how emotionally drained we were, then the Purdue game showed you because we took the game overtime and still lost. Like there were games that we should have won. Like the only game we really should have lost was probably maybe Miami. Every other game we should have won. We shouldn't have lost to Michigan. Like eight, yeah, it was just we should have lost one game. It was Miami if we were going to lose. Maybe Penn State. I'll give Penn State that one. Maybe Penn State, but like, yeah, it was, it was bad. Well, it was. I mean, I think it was draining everyone who was had anything to do with it. It's just, you know, you're tired of it. It's in the news. People were very excited that, oh, maybe the Ohio State, like I said, is going to be done. Mm-hmm. But somehow it's the stage is set at night and Wisconsin's legit team coming in and that game happens like back and forth and, and that crazy ending. I mean, you could pull it up. I'll put it in the show notes, but you just watch that clip on YouTube. I mean, that was... It was a really cool moment. I can't imagine what it'd be like to be a player oh, yeah. in, on the field that it night. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> it was amazing. We were like, yeah, we got it. And then we thought about it, and we were like, 
okay, we just became bowl eligible. Right, right. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Mentally, we can keep on going. <laughs> but that's crazy when you think about it because the expectations are so high. Like, you lose, like, you had mentioned him before. He had said, like, you lose one game, it's like, ah, oh, it's not good. You lose two, man. Three oh, is like, just forget game. about oh. it. But that was one of those years because a lot of that stuff obviously was built and you said the same team went in a different coach and different things changed, but it went 12 and 0. And they had a lot of those, like that Purdue game they had the next year where it did go to overtime mm-hmm. and Braxton had gotten hurt mm-hmm. and Kenny Guyton comes in and mm-hmm. right, it's that two point conversion, but it's wild to see it. And so, anyway, so Arb Meyer's here and obviously they have an incredible run, win the championship. He leaves, Ryan Day comes in at the year they had last year. Hopefully, we have college football. Hopefully, we have football this year. I mean, I think the country needs it. And that would mean good things are happening in this country if they are playing football. But where do you see Ohio State football right now? I mean, the way everyone else sees it, like on fire right now, or or where are you at with it? Ohio State football, they're hungry. They're irritated. They're ready to go. I just don't know if college football will happen this year. Mm -hmm. Hopefully it does. But I don't know if it is. I think Ohio State right now, I think we have the most talent that we've, I mean, the way... Ryan Day has been doing recruiting and our, our guy, Brian Hartline, he's doing an amazing job recruiting as well. I've never seen a Ohio State roster so athletic. Like you'd have to probably go back to the nineties with coach Cooper to find a roster like this. Like there's even, I'm talking about last year as well, but like the way that they're recruiting mm-hmm. and the way that coach Nick is, you know, really getting these guys prepared in the, in the weight room. And we should lose a game. Yeah. They should be playoffs again. And we will win the national championship. We should have won last year. Yeah. A lot of stuff happened in that game. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of things. I don't want to talk about the fumble. No. Well, you know what? I mean, that's something you bring up. So watching that game and you watch players like Jeff Okuda and Jordan Fuller and remove, I don't care, biases aside, whether you like them or absolutely hate Ohio State. These are two guys yeah. that, first of all, are all American caliber type players going to go in the draft yep. and yep. something happens in it possibly one of the biggest moments in the history of Ohio State football takes place. Ohio State, you know, makes some mistakes and running backs getting hurt and maybe they left some points on the board and, and things happen. Maybe some bad calls were already made in that game. That play happens and the fumble happens. Kuda strips them, Fuller picks it up, runs in the end zone. Like they just took the lead late in the game. What frustrated me the most, and this is just what you got to deal with, and they still had a chance to win the game at the end. It was taken away from these kids. It was taken away from the whole team. Those two kids, and that more than anything else really bothered me. Not because of the fan, like, oh man, you're a Buckeye fan. That's Yeah, but at the same time, it's like, it was just wrong. Now it happens and that's sports, right? And we've yeah. seen it. We saw it with the saints and you see it with this different thing. Bad calls are going to happen. So you know what you got to do? You got to just get back out there and go make another play. And I get it, but that's very frustrating. But as a player in that moment, I mean, I guess that's what they say, right? As a secondary member, you have to have a short-term memory, but more because when you get beat, not because when you create a fumble, return it for a touchdown, right. that, that's something mm-hmm. different. And in that moment, yeah. like you deal with these guys, you're a part of this type of situation. How do you possibly get it back together to say, oh, you just have to do it. I mean, you have no choice, I guess. Yeah, you, you really don't have a choice. But it's also, I don't think people factor this in. I mean, it's where it also comes back to people saying you got to be mentally tough in those situations, and I get it. But, like, seeing that fumble recovered, score a touchdown, that momentum swing is emotional. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? That's an emotional swing. And to have all that emotion that you had, that joy, whatever it may be, taken away, like... I don't know what that does to the human body, but it ain't good. Right. Like it's impossible. Like 
whatever they felt after that, I would relate that to, and I hate to bring this up again, but like my senior year, whatever that emotional toll was, that's what we felt the entire year. Yeah. So like, it's hard to bounce back from that. It's hard to continue to play. I mean, they continue to play, but it's, that's a big play. That's momentum. That, at that point, you're changing your game plan. Yeah. At that point, you know, you certain play, you just call the game different if you're winning. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah, that was tough. I feel bad for those kids. I mean, it's human error. Things happen. Yeah. But that play to this day, I mean, we could say a lot of plays should have been overturned. Right. The targeting call. Yeah. Why did Justin feel? I mean, personally, I think nine times out of ten, a lot of it runs the post. It just is what it is. I mean, that's one of those things where it happens. It's no big deal. But to me, that's the biggest play. I don't really care about the interception at the end of the game. That's that's what happened. That play right there when they overturned that, boy, that won't hurt. That won't hurt. Yeah. Well, college football is made of, I mean, it's like we talked about before. It's kids, man. They're in college. And they're, mistakes happen in the NFL. I mean, mistakes happen all the time. And like you said, human error could be from the ref. And that's part of the game. And you got to deal with it. And and you know what? They did. They got back to where they needed to be to have a chance. And they could have won that still. But you're right. It is. But you have to be mentally strong. And maybe for the long term, like, could be better off for it. You get stronger as a result of it. It's just frustrating because you don't get to have that moment back. But you got to move on. You got to move on and, and yeah. you got to do amazing things. And you've done amazing things. And now you're you're with Ohio State and director of Keith B. Key, Buckeye Social Entrepreneurship Program. And there's a lot going on in that. And I want you to talk to us a little bit about what are you doing with social entrepreneurship at Ohio State University? Yep. So director of the Keith B. Key, Buckeye Social Entrepreneurship Program. Key actually played football here in the 80s. Got hurt. And because of an ankle injury, actually stopped playing football. but he now owns KBK Enterprises, president and CEO over there. Right now, I believe it's the number one minority uh, development company in the Midwest, if not the country. And he actually made a gift of a million dollars to student life at the Ohio State University in order to build a program like this. So essentially what I do as director is that, number one, I put on programs that are highlighting different social entrepreneurs in the community, whether it be Columbus, so Columbus and or Ohio highlighting those so that we're getting our students exposed to those social entrepreneurs. But I also go out there and I find students who have these business ideas so that we can go ahead and put them through workshops and put them through almost an accelerator to the point where they can go and pitch their idea in front of a group of us. And then we're actually going to be able to give them funding, seed money for their startup business. So anywhere between twenty dollars and $50,000, we would be giving student groups. That's amazing. To have these businesses stuff. That's what we want to do. Yeah. And now our students, obviously, and you're Austin Mack, you talk about he was a entrepreneur type playing football, doing a lot of amazing things. Is his program, are you guys involved with some of the things that he was doing when he was there? Obviously now he's eligible for the draft, but are players from the program as well involved with this at times? Yeah, I've met with Austin actually a few times throughout the year. He has some amazing ideas that I'm not going to share because I want to make sure yep. he's with his. Absolutely, but, I get it. But yeah, he, he's been doing some amazing things, has some great ideas. And he actually had a relationship with Mr. Key's son, Keith Brandon Key. So he's actually known Mr. Key for a while now. But some of the players on the football team as well as there were a few different uh, track athletes that I met with that had different business businesses. So when I meet with student athletes and or students, really we just sit down and they tell me their business idea and I kind of help them work through the ideation stage, making sure that they're getting everything together, make sure they're getting a business plan developed 
I guess from there, I, I paired them with a mentor who can help them take their business to the next level. So it's a lot of fun. I get to work with the student athletes. The only thing that we haven't figured out right now is when it comes to startup money, because obviously it's available to any student, but if you were to give money to a student athlete, we'd have to look into NCAA rules and whatnot, which is, again, one of those things which is silly, but I get it. You have to make sure you're doing that. But I also think my experience, yeah, my experience as a student athlete, I'm already thinking about those things at any time. So I think that helps, especially being in this role. But yeah, these student athletes are great, especially these ones now. They're already thinking outside the box. I mean, at this point, I think in what, 2021 or 2023, when they'll be able to use their likeness. If you look at their social media accounts, whether it be TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, whatever it is that they have, these student athletes are going to be able to make money off of that. They're going to be able to get sponsorships off of that. So I think it's an amazing time to be an entrepreneur, especially if you're a student athlete, because eventually you are going to be able to make money off of your, your image and your likeness. But at the same time, you're going to be able to build your brand to where you want it to be. So that's definitely going to help with that transition where you may not be playing football, basketball, running track, baseball, whatever sport that may be. You may not be doing that anymore, but you have built your brand up to a point where you have a following of, say, 500,000 or a million people at this point, you can do whatever it is that you want to do. You already have a following. And at that point, you're an influencer because you have these many people following you. So at this point, you're going to have companies reaching out to you saying, hey, I want to put this ad on your page or I want to send you a box of clothes. Can you give me a shout out and make sure people follow this link? At this point, the NCAA is going to allow student athletes to create, to create a revenue that's going to be able to last for a while for them. So I'm excited for the opportunity for them. And if, if there's student athletes out there that aren't thinking about that yet, they need to start doing it because it's going to be here quicker than they know. Mm-hmm. So be sure to take advantage of that. Absolutely. And even if it takes a couple of years from here to figure that thing out, I mean, they're still building their following. They're building their brand. It's no different than walking down the sidewalk and, and seeing someone. They recognize the football players, the basketball players, right? Mm-hmm. And yep. just a, a smile can go a long way and, and no different than someone messaging someone on, you know, if make a post about you on Instagram, it's positive, right? And, and that respond mm-hmm. back to them. Like just, you don't even realize like what an emoji of a smiley face could do to that kid. And that's there forever. And because you've just, you've mm-hmm. built a fan. And so even if you can't monetize it today, as mm-hmm. you know, it's the long game. This thing is, it's going to be around yeah. for a long time. And so, you, you know, build that out and your background with football, with Ohio state and seeing, you know, that's what one of the things that drew me to you, obviously between those things, but then entrepreneurship at Ohio State and obviously being an entrepreneur myself and and understanding like what you can do while in college. And if you have a university like the Ohio State University supporting you in that, it's just it's an amazing opportunity and experience that you can have and, and to have they're there. You're there and, and you have an incredible mm-hmm. background and stories and well spoken to to share these things. So it's an important role you play. And I'm glad you were able to share stories about playing football when as a kid and coming to Ohio State and Trestle and all the games you played and the transition from football to to what you're doing now. It's amazing, man. And I just appreciate the time and the energy and the influence that you have. And I, I appreciate it, Nate. Thank you. No, I appreciate you having me out here and uh, being able to really speak to it. One of my favorite things about our Sportsypreneur content platform is the opportunity to chat with amazing people in and around the world of sports. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you want to connect more, hit us up on Instagram at Sportsypreneur. Thank you for listening to this CadSource production, the Sports Epreneur podcast, the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide. Mm-hmm.